Praise the Lord. The Spirit is moving. And uh, I, I feel Him. I sense Him moving. Today is the second series in the Advent series is on peace. Last week, Pastor Hank preached on hope, then peace. Next week is joy, and December the 20th, it is love. But today I'm reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, very familiar passage of Scripture at Christmas time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Jesus Christ came to bring us peace. The angels declared it right from the start. In Scripture, he is called the Prince of Peace by Isaiah. And we are called to join him. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. Have you noticed we live in troubled times? Gun violence is wildly out of control. Last year, approximately 33,000 Americans shot themselves or shot someone else or shot both. Mass shootings seem to be happening now almost on a weekly basis. Terrorism is a global problem that is getting worse, not better. And another ground war in the Middle East is being called for by many people in power. Let there be no mistake, there is great evil in this world and evil people who champion that great evil. Biblically speaking, there are two approaches to dealing with evil. One is the world's. The world's solution to great evil is very simple. Destroy evil by destroying evil people. I've heard those words a lot lately. ISIS must be destroyed. They must be wiped off the face of the earth. Kill them all to war. But Jesus said, this is not ultimately going to solve the problem. They that live by the sword, Jesus said, will die by the sword. Hatred begets more hatred. Violence begets more violence. Wars don't end wars, have you noticed? They just set the stage for the next war. History has borne this out over and over again. Take the Middle East. We have fought three ground wars there. And I ask you, are we safer after three ground wars there? After each war, did terrorism get better or did terrorism get worse? Did our enemies go away or are there more of them than ever now? Are we more safe or are we less safe? And you know the answer. Three wars later, things are worse than ever. What's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result? Let's just play out the scenario if there is another ground war in the Middle East. Let's say we send an army to Syria and Iraq and totally defeat ISIS. I mean, we can do it. But the question is not, can we do it? The question I'm posing this morning is, what if we win? What then? ISIS is still in 40 nations. Do we go after those 40 nations too? ISIS has sleeper cells all over Europe. Does defeating ISIS in Syria get rid of those sleeper cells? 
ISIS recruits by the internet. By the way, that's what happened in San Bernardino. That's what happened in Parliament, is that people were recruited over the internet. Are we going to bomb the internet? We're going to shut it down? And after we defeat ISIS in Syria and Iraq, the real question is, who will govern? Who will be able to keep the peace after the war? The Sunnis and the Shias will still hate each other, even if we win. Assad's followers and those who fought against him will still be living there and at each other's throats, even if we win. The conditions that created civil war in Iraq and Syria will still exist. Even if we can win the war, what if we can't win the peace? If we can't stop ancient hatreds that will erupt again as soon as we leave, what are we fighting for? If terrorism is not confined to national boundaries, but is a global underground movement, what makes us think bombing Syria will get rid of it? There's the rest of the world. Armies and navies and air forces cannot defeat global terrorism. That leaves two options from the world's point of view. Get out of the Middle East or get in. Leave a permanent army there to control the situation. But that too, I promise you, will backfire. The Muslim world will see the USA as an occupying force controlling the Muslim ground, and they will hate us for it. It will remind them of the Crusades. They quote that all the time. It will cause them to see us as violators of their world. And guess what will be the result of that? More terrorism. Besides that, can we afford to have armed forces? You know how many armed American forces are in the, how many countries now? We are in 120 countries now. We can't afford this. We're going broke. What bothers me about this the most is that so Christians so quickly agree with the world's views. We give almost complete trust to politicians who define reality for us. And we shouldn't. You know what I've discovered about politicians? They lie. And they make mistakes all the time including about war, especially war, especially war in the Middle East. The last people on earth who should be the first in line to support wars are the people who purportedly follow the Prince of Peace. Yet often the opposite happens. Part of the reason is because many have confused the kingdom of God with the kingdom of America. They are not the same. America is not God's instrument of judgment upon this earth. God can take care of his own business if he wants to judge. God has chosen another way to deal with his enemies. And it's not through bombs and F-15s and AK-47s. Don't confuse the world's way with Jesus' way. Don't confuse the two kingdoms. America's way and God's way are not the same in a whole lot of instances. We need to quit letting the world dictate to the church its values like who and what we should fear, or who and what we should hate, or who deserves vengeance and death. By the way, my Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says it. You don't think God can take care of justice and vengeance? Oh, oh, I, you know, my, my daughter-in-law, she was, well, to be daughter-in-law, she, she, uh, I remember somebody did something, and, and I remember her going, God sees you. God sees you. Don't think that for one minute God does not see the evil of this world and will take care of it one way or the other. As it says in Romans 12:1, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. 
We are a holy people, Peter said, set apart, different from how the world thinks. We operate by different orders, different values. Who does the Bible say we should fear? My Bible says we should only fear one thing in this universe. And Jesus said, fear him who can destroy your soul. Nobody else is to be feared. What's the worst someone can do to us? Kill us? Are Christians supposed to be afraid of death? We're supposed to be already dead. Dead to sin, dead to self. You know, when Gracia Burnham was here, she told us a story at our pastor's meeting about missionaries who were going to be missionaries to a cannibalistic tribe. And while on that ship taking them, the captain said to them, he knew what, where they were going and what they were doing, and he said, you are crazy. I know this tribe. These people will kill you and eat you. <laughs> to which one of the missionaries replied, we're not worried about them killing us. We died before we got on this boat. We gave all of ourselves to Christ before we sailed. We took up the cross before we got this far. You're not supposed to be afraid of death if you're already dead. Plus, I thought Christians believed in heaven. And that heaven is a whole lot better than here. Isn't our attitude supposed to be like Paul's? To live is Christ, to die is gain? Why are so many American Christians so scared of death? I don't get it. All across the world, wherever else people take up the cause of Christ, they realize they're taking their lives in their hands. They realize they could lose everything. And we often have the opposite attitude of that. Besides that, we shouldn't be afraid. I don't know about you, but... Uh, I, the older I get, the more homesick for heaven I get. You know, I want to see Jesus. I want to have a resurrected body. I want to see the glory of the Father. I want to see the mansion got, that got my name on it. I want to worship with the angels. I want to see what God has for me on the other side. I don't know why we're such scaredy cats about death. And I, I could tell you stories, but... Got to keep going. You know, and, and, and plus, you know, we have television shows that take advantage of the times. Have you noticed that? We got these talking head shows that drive me crazy. Er. You, you know the ones. The ones on MSNBC and Fox and CNN. They, these shows focus on fear. They focus on controversy. They focus on demonizing those who disagree with them. They create controversy in order to create ratings. Paul wrote in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think on these things. Does watching these talking head shows promote what Paul was talking about? Let me ask you a very simple test and be honest with yourselves. If you watch these shows at the end of the show, are you more angry or less angry? Are you more fearful or less fearful? Are you more at peace or less at peace? If you end up angrier and more fearful and less at peace, what should that tell you about you watching these shows? 
Besides, we're not to see the world. We're to see the world from God's point of view, not CNNs or Foxes or CBS or NBC or the governments or some politicians. Spirit-filled people do not go around consumed by fear. Did you know that? Spirit-filled people do not go around consumed with anger. Spirit-filled people do not go around seeking vengeance. I've been preaching on the Holy Spirit, and I can tell you, that is not the fruit of the Spirit. You may have noticed. We need, but you know, Paul tells us that God did not give us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of what? Love and of power and of a sound mind. We are not supposed to be running around like chickens with our heads cut off going, the sky is falling. Our lives are in the hands of Jesus Christ. Our lives are in the hands of God. And if somebody shoots me tomorrow, I'm just fine. I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm, that wasn't a suggestion, by the way. That... Uh, We need to go beyond the narrow perspectives of this world. We are called to think big picture, cosmically. Our agenda is much bigger than any government's. We are called to fight evil, but not with weapons, Paul tells us, that are carnal. We are called to fight enemies, the ones that are not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities in high places. Our weapons are love. Our weapons are the helmet of salvation. Our weapons are the sword of the Spirit. Our weapons are the shoes of peacemaking. Our weapons are the shield of faith. Our weapons are the breastplate of righteousness. Again, when Gracia Burnham was here, and she talked about how her, her, she and her husband were captured for 13 months by radical Muslim jihadists. She said, you know, who kept them constantly under that. They watched one of the people with them be beheaded by these people. They were mistreated. They were constantly hungry, constantly on the run. And they had a decision to make in the middle of all of this. Were they going to do what Jesus asked them to do, or were they not? Were they going to love their enemies, even the people that had captured them, or not? They chose to obey Jesus. They loved those who spitefully used them. They prayed for those who were evil. They obeyed Jesus, not their instincts or not some government's dictates. This is how Jesus, this is how Jesus told us to deal with terrorists. The world says, kill them. Jesus says, save them. The world says, destroy them. Jesus says, redeem them. The world says, hate them. Jesus says, love them. Oh, brothers and sisters, and I don't know if you were here when Gracia talked about the end result, when they were finally set free, and I don't have time to tell her marvelous story, but some of those terrorists that victimized Gracia and her husband because they sowed seeds of love, because they obeyed Jesus in the Spirit, some of those terrorists are now Christians they are our brothers in Christ. They are our friends with whom we will spend eternity. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are people who do it Jesus' way. Again, it's no secret, my favorite writer is John Ortberg, and he writes this. People will look different when I see them with God. People are a huge part of the God life because we have to live with people. Isn't that a shame? 
We have to interact with them. We have to get along with people. And how we get along with people says a lot about where our soul rests. When we are living with God, we will see people as God sees them. If I'm aware God is here with me and God is looking at you at the same moment I'm looking at you, it will change how I respond to you. Instead of seeing you as an annoying server at McDonald's who messed up my order, oh, God, have mercy on me. I need to repent. I will see you as someone God loved enough to send his son to die on your behalf. I will see you as a real person who got up dreading to go to work, dealing with impatient customers like me, being on your feet all day. In other words, I will no longer see you, see you as everyone else sees you. This is exactly what Paul is after when he says, from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. From now on my soul is centered in God with Jesus and I don't look at people the same way anymore. Then he concludes with this. He says, too, too often those of us in the Christian community see people the same way the rest of the world sees them. It's even how we see each other. Imagine how your church would change if you saw each other through God's eyes. Imagine how the world would change if Christians saw people the way God sees people. The first ally any nation tries to do when it goes to war in Europe and, and America and Canada and any other place is it tries to secure the church or the dominant religion's backing. Those who declare war want the clergy or the church to bless their war, to say God is on our side, our cause is God's cause. And it's simple. you got to rally the politicians, you got to rally the people, you got to do all this stuff to go to war. But in its worst form, this alignment of God and country can lead to something like the Puritans, who after burning an Indian village to the ground and massacring every last woman and child, including a number of infants, had a worship service and praised God for helping them conduct the massacre. Jesus came to show us a different way. Jesus said he would form a new nation, a new kingdom that transcends all other kingdoms, a group of people called the new Israel, the church, and he would form a new group of people whose marching orders are to love everybody and to spread the gospel everywhere and whose values would be unlike any other world's kingdom. He said his new Israel would be found all over the place, in places like Russia and China, America and Africa, Syria, Iran, Iraq, Yemen. And at this point, I think I should point out that I'm not against patriotism. I'm just against patriotism becoming idolatrous. I consider myself a patriot. I love my country. I love my home. I love most of my neighbors. I love some of my parishioners. I love people. I'm just kidding. I love the natural beauty of the Shenandoah Valley. I love the, when I grew up near uh, less than a mile from the New River and, and, and I spent much of my childhood on Claytor Lake. I love the beauty of Virginia. I even hear Pennsylvania has some pretty spots. You'll have to show them to me sometime. Oh, my Lord, that was hostile. <laughs> but there is a brand of patriotism that scares me. It's the kind of patriotism that says America's enemies are automatically God's enemies. And therefore, when we kill our enemies, we are doing God's will. 
What scares me is the kind of patriotism that tries to narrow God's love to just one country or us and our allies. Sometimes it gets very confusing to me how evangelical Christians can be so missions-minded and at the same time be so willing to destroy the mission field. It's almost like evangelicals have a split personality. I was watching and I, on TV, this was years and years ago, one Sunday, and uh, I, I'm not going to, it was a televangelist, I'm not going to give his name, but he said this. He said, if our nation was conquered by Russia, by the communists, he said he would preach on Sundays and be a guerrilla the other six days of the week killing communists. What really made his statements interesting to me was the fact that he was pleading for people to donate money for Bibles and Christian literature for Yugoslavia and other communist countries, including Russia. And I distinctly remember him saying, God loves even communists. He died for everyone to be saved, including them. We need to take, he said, we need to take the gospel behind the Iron Curtain. Talk about a split personality. Within half an hour, he said, in effect, he would spend six-sevenths of his time killing communists if they came over here. And then he turned right around and said, God loved communists, and so did he. Please give money to get the communists saved. Please, let's make up our minds. Either we are going to try to kill our enemies, or we are going to try to save them. I must choose to be either a life giver or a death giver. It's almost impossible to do both at the same time. I don't know about you, but I have found that it is very hard to lead a dead person to Jesus Christ. How can one person say they care so much about saving communists and then be so willing to send them to hell? I guess my problem, and the problem of all pacifists is this, is that Jesus never qualifies which enemies can be loved and which enemies can be killed. Neither Jesus nor Paul said we could be selective about who we love. Even military, political enemies are to be loved. That's why Jesus specifically told his disciples. He said something one day. This may have been, I think Jesus said two things probably that, that, that probably made as little sense to his disciples as anything Jesus said. The first is when you know, they wanted to make him king and he said, listen, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. I'm sure they went, what? What? I think the second thing that probably shocked them the most is when Jesus said, if a Roman soldier taps you on the shoulder and tells you to carry his backpack one mile, then you carry it too. That was the most unpatriotic thing I think any Israelite would have ever heard. They hated the Romans. The Romans were their conquerors. They took their freedom. They taxed them to death. They killed them at will. Israel hated the Romans. And Jesus says, if a Roman soldier taps you on the soldier, shoulder, go twice as far as he asks. I think that rocked their boats. I really do. Like I said, in times like these, we must think cosmically. We must think as God thinks. Do what God wants done. Think about what our wars over in the Middle East have done to the church in Iraq and in Egypt, and in other Muslim nations. There are churches being persecuted as never before. Most of the Iraq church is in exile in Jordan and other places. And the few that stay in Iraq, they take 
they are in danger of death every day. And by the way, as long as we're thinking cosmically, who benefits the most when people are engaged in fear-mongering and hatred and war and death? Who wants us dead? Who wants us dead? Is it not the enemy himself? Is it not the powers and principalities and high places? Is it not the one who brought death into this world? He wants to kill us, and he wants to get us to kill each other. He wants us to do his dirty work for him. And while I'm thinking on a cosmic level, think about what war in the name of a supposed Christian nation does to evangelism and missions in that part of the world. I went to school with Sandy Drescher. Her father was John Drescher, a well-known Mennonite writer. And he said a friend of his attended a Christian businessman's banquet. And he told of a man at that banquet who was sitting there, and it was, you know, during the Vietnam War, and he said, I wish we would drop a nuclear bomb on North Korea and to back off the Chinese, and if the Chinese stick their nose in there, we need to nuke the Chinese too. And then this man turned around and talked to his guest. His guest was a person of Chinese descent. And he said to him, would you like to give your heart to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you find that unfathomable. And the man never even saw the irony of what he was saying. He, he, you know, I think, you know, that, that he said, on one hand, we, we, we need to nuke your people. But in the meantime, will you give your heart to Jesus? He never saw that nuclear genocide and evangelism were incongruent in the same sentence. Never saw that one statement totally undermined the other statement. What do Muslims think when they are bombed by American jets and then an American missionary tells them Jesus loves them? How much harder is the task? Brothers and sisters, I've got news for you this morning. Jesus loves Muslims. And in fact, he is working vigorously in the Muslim world to save people. In China, the Chinese church, which is the fastest growing church in the world, one of their main things that, that, that they feel the Spirit has led them to do is to evangelize Muslims in China and then head towards the Middle East. There is a strong underground church movement in Iran. There is a strong church, and especially in North Africa. Muslims are being led to Jesus Christ by the tens of thousands. God is working in the Muslim world. Shouldn't we work with him? Shouldn't we partner with him? Shouldn't we take his agenda on rather than anybody else's? This Christmas... We celebrate an invasion. Did you know that? As in fact, it was an invasion into the Middle East. It was an invasion by God against his enemies. Us. We were, that's what Paul says. We were the enemies of God. We were deserving of wrath. And God declared war on us. And the invasion force he sent was one solitary baby born in a manger 
And if you don't believe it was an invasion, just read Roman, I mean, Revelation chapter 12. It says that behind the scenes, when Jesus was born into this world, all heaven and hell broke loose. His weapons were truth and grace and grace upon grace. His weapons were the power of the Spirit. His weapons were the willingness to die for us. And He came to bring us peace. Peace with God. Peace in our hearts. Peace in our homes. Peace with our enemies. Let us never forget we're called to treat our enemies the same way Jesus treated His. Us. Again, let us see people through Christ's eyes. And let us bring with Him peace on earth. Goodwill towards men, all men and women, all. Because blessed are the peacemakers. And why are they called, what are they called? By the way, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? The children of God. That means we bear the family resemblance. That means we're being like our heavenly father. We are being like his children. We have to understand the difference of the kingdoms. One of the things that just shocked me today was reading the quote by Jerry Falwell Jr., who's encouraging students at Liberty to get uh, concealed license, licenses for carrying concealed guns on campus. Really. And part of the quote is, I don't have it exactly, but I saw it, and it is, uh, if we carry enough firearms at liberty, we will stop those Muslims before they kill. God help us. That is the total mixing of the kingdoms. You know, George Bernard Shaw said, God made us in his image and we returned the favor. Being a good Christian and a good American are just not the same thing. We have to know the difference. I could say other things, but brothers and sisters, we need to stop. But I want to ask you to do one thing this morning. I would like us to pray for the peace of God. I would like, if you don't know Jesus, I would like for you to have peace with God. Jesus died for that. And I'd like you to have peace in your heart. Some of you need to pray for that. But I would like us to pray for peace in the world and pray for our enemies this morning. That's what I'd like us to do. I'd like us to pray for Muslims. Isn't that what Jesus said to do? Pray for those who are your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray. And I would like us to even pray for ISIS. Because, not because ISIS are good guys and they're, you know, they had bad potty training and people just misunderstand them. They're evil people. But because Jesus said to. Jesus said to. Okay? Let's pray. Bow your heads. And pray for what you need to pray for in the area of peace. And if you have nothing else to pray for, pray for Jesus to break through in the Muslim world and dismantle ISIS one convert at a time.
Lord Jesus, grant peace to troubled hearts this morning. Grant peace, Lord, to those in difficult relationships this morning. Grant peace to those of us who are afraid or bitter. And for those who don't know you, Lord, may they find peace with you this morning. And Lord, we pray for your gospel to explode in the Muslim world. We thank you for what's already happening. Lord, help us to work with you not against you. Help us, Jesus. And we do pray, Lord, that the light of the gospel breaks through even in ISIS. Lord, we, I, remember, I remember a terrorist who killed boatloads of Christians and you saved him, Lord. His name was Saul of Tarsus. And one day you turned his name into Paul and you made him the apostle to the Gentiles and he's written most of anybody in the Bible. Lord, you can change the hardest of hearts. Break through even there, Jesus. Break through. Bless us, Lord. Help us to not be afraid. Help us not to be controlled by the agenda, any other agenda except yours, Jesus. Except yours. We ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. I would like uh, the intercessors to come forward and whoever's doing the, and the worship team to come forward. And I would like us to, to uh, worship God. We will pray for you for anything. But would you stand and worship? And if you need prayer, we are here. Yeah. Hey. 
that in the Muslim world, a quarter, some people say a quarter to a third of people in the Muslim world are coming to Jesus because of a direct vision or direct dream in which Jesus shows up and says, I am Esau. I am Jesus, the one you're looking for. I am the one who is coming. I am the one. Now go find a missionary or a Bible or a church if you can. The same is true in Turkey and other places. God is working. Pray for God to keep working. Hallelujah. Now I'm going to send you, would you, Lord Jesus, thank you for bringing peace on earth. Help us to be peacemakers. Help us to love the people you love, which is everybody. And help us, Lord Jesus, to bring peace wherever we go in whatever relationships we have. Touch us, Jesus, and send us in your peace. In your name we ask it. Amen and amen. Go in peace. Still 